And last week we saw that we follow this shepherd who gives us everything we need because he is that place, that habitation. He is that rest, and he takes us to a place of rest. And we saw some specific ways that he does this, or how he looks when he does this. He serves, that is, he seeks, he brings back, he binds up, he heals, he strengthens, and he has compassion. He gathers us into his arms, holds us close to his heart, and leads us gently. Today, I want to continue looking at that portrait. Today, we're going to see more about the work that our shepherd does, how he gets us to that place, that habitation, that rest, and what, it, what he takes us through to get there. Let's pray together. Father, again, we pray that you will use this word this preached word to do all that you have intended. Father, we ask that because we trust you. We trust your promise. We trust what you've said, that your word doesn't return void, that with it you accomplish all that you intend. Father, we ask by your Spirit that you would do that. By your Spirit, that you would comfort and that you would convict and that you would conform. We pray that you would kill us with this word and raise us up. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. What we'll be looking at today is the last part of verse 3 and verse 4. The last part of verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What are those paths of righteousness? The word path, it can be described with a little picture. I don't know if you've ever, um, and maybe this makes it kind of poignant, right? I don't know if you've ever used a wheelbarrow. I have rarely used one. Rarely, which may, you know, be the reason for my ineptitude, is that right? My inability to actually push a one-wheeled machine. But I recall, you know, doing this in mud. Have you ever pushed a wheelbarrow in mud, right? With it, it's loaded down, it's heavy, right? And it, you go through it, and it starts to create these ruts, this sort of track And it becomes really difficult, particularly with a wheelbarrow, to get out of that rut, to try to change direction. That's the picture that you're getting here with this path. That weight causes these tracks, these ruts, and those become pathways. Point is that the pathways, they weren't there before. It took something to make them. And in the same way, God has created these tracks or these ruts in the road, these grooves in which his people 
are to stay. Paths of righteousness. You get a nice picture of this from Numbers chapter 9. And you don't have to turn there, but I want you just to hear this. Part of the reason, I mean, I'm making the point. I mean, it's going to be an obvious point. But really, I'm reading this because I want you to just hear the sheer repetition. This is, uh, the people are about to leave Sinai. They're headed for the promised land. And they got instructions about how they're going to get there. You get it? Place of rest. How are you going to get there? The people are led by a cloud by day, fire by night. It's that whole thing. And then Numbers 15, or 16 to 23, it says this. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day, that is the tabernacle, covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after the people of Israel set out, uh, excuse me, after that the people of Israel set out, And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, And according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. And if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of God remained in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. My goodness, do you get it? The point, if, if it wasn't already, they were led by his command. It was his command that they were to follow. And of course, at Sinai, they had received the law. We were just talking about movement there to that, habita- that habitation, the place of rest. But also, all along the way, it was his law that would form those grooves, those tracks. His law would form those pathways that they were to follow. And you get confirmation of this from Proverbs. Like the father in Proverbs, remember this is sort of like a father talking to his son. So you've got Israel, God's firstborn son, and the father is speaking to Israel. Proverbs 4.11, he tells his son, I have taught you, here it is, the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. The way of wisdom, the paths of uprightness, those go together. And where do these paths lead? Proverbs 4.22, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. God's word 
his commands, his wisdom. You see, all of that sort of come together. His wisdom leads to life. These paths guide to that pasture land, that habitation, the pace of rest that we seek. So you've got this big picture, this big picture. Well, those paths of righteousness find their culmination in Christ. Just in case you were surprised. We have to read. It's not that those laws, they just disappear. They don't matter. But we have to view them. We have to read them through the lens of Christ. And we do that kind of the way that we start to see this lens, the way that Scripture itself presents it. It's not an accident. Listen to this. It's not an accident. And literally, we find the culmination in Christ. It's not an accident that in Mark chapter 9, you've got Jesus with Peter, James, and John. They're on a mountain, not accidental. And on that mountain, if you recall, the cloud covers it, not accidental. And then who do they see? Moses and Elijah. Not an accident. This period that Moses sort of inaugurates and Elijah brings to an end. It's like the passing of a baton. And there on the mountain, cloud covering, Jesus in full glory... There's this voice that says, this is my beloved son. This one, Christ. And then the three words, listen to him. These paths of righteousness find their culmination in Jesus. He is the one through whom the Father leads the sheep. Jesus himself says this in John Chapter 10, we've read John chapter 10, uh, I think on a couple of occasions already. In 27 through 29, he says this, this is what Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Your heavenly Father leads you in paths of righteousness by leading you in His Son. That's how He does it. And in His Son you find life. And this leading in His Son becomes more clear. Paul, and I guess this is sort of the second way we can see how this God's command is wisdom is the culmination. Is culm- uh, we find the culmination of it in Jesus. Paul says this, and, and this is why we follow Christ our shepherd and why we listen to him, why we hear him, or can. 1 Corinthians 1.30, and this is from the NIV. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Christ has become for us 
wisdom. Not, and this is what's different here, it's the, the point is not that he gives some particular insight that Christ does on how to live. That's not the meaning of wisdom there. The meaning of wisdom there is sort of unpacked in the latter three words, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Wisdom, the way Paul is using it here, is God's plan for the ages. In His Son, the Father reveals what has been shrouded in mystery for a really, really long time. The Father displays His wisdom in His Son. He does that through, as I said, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Righteousness, that is, that... Christ has made us right before God. And before that, Christ himself, by his resurrection, is proven right. He is in the right. We get in on that. In Christ, holiness or sanctification. That is, in this particular case, that we are set apart and consecrated, set apart for God, consecrated to God as his people. And redemption, we have been freed in Christ from slavery to sin and death. That Christ displays the wisdom of God. That little, that little, that little packet, all that is represented in that in that in that phrase, wisdom from God. That is how we make sense of the world and all that goes on in it. That that is how we orient ourselves in the world. Because of those realities, that is where we find our identity. That is where we find our purpose. That is where we find our meaning. All of that is answered in His Son. That is why we follow Him. He leads us in paths of righteousness. But, being, but in being led by our shepherd, in following the leading of our shepherd, all is not easy, is it? Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I would be real interested, I can't do it now, but I would be really interested to know how that hits you, what you imagine when you say that phrase, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, some of you may say, well, I'm not going to walk through it. Really? When a shepherd led a flock to eat, it meant going into the valley where grazing could be found. Makes sense. Well, down in that valley, right, (laughs) there are other animals. They're pretty smart because they know the sheep have to eat. And so 
those animals, those predators, they're there waiting for a meal. So that could be a really dangerous place. But then we got this shadow of death. That has this idea of deep darkness, a place where there's no order, where there's no light, a place of affliction and despair. That's the way it gets used in Job. No order, no light, affliction, despair. It's used to describe Israel's experience in the wilderness in Jeremiah 2, right? In short, the shadow of death, that deep darkness is a place of suffering. But again, here's what's amazing. A psalm, a psalm that is talked about, that is exalted, the shepherd's provision in goodness has no problem speaking in a matter-of-fact way about pain and difficulty, about suffering. And I know some of you, I was thinking about this, if there are any of those lessons that, um, that we need to learn as Christians, right? I mean, if you had one of the, you have a book, you know, five things you need to know as a Christian, right? <laughs> well, one of those things, I, I don't know, and it, and it might make the list. I don't, I don't know. I, it, maybe this is changing some. It might make the list, right? But on that list, right, the five things that you, every Christian needs to know, this might be number nine or ten, is that you are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are. You will, at some point, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. Somebody, some of you just came out of the valley of the shadow of death, and you're like, yeah, that was, that's, that was nice. Some of you, some of you, are, you know, are no. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's, I know I'm, at some point I'm going to walk right into the shadow of death. But we're all going to do it. It's going to happen. We've actually said that before. We've run into that time and time again through passages that have been unpacked here. And it's a lesson, if you think, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I've heard this before, good. You hear it again and again and again and again because this is a lesson that it is so hard for us to remember. This is the kind of lesson that we would rather forget. All of us, we'd rather forget it. It is a lesson that tends to be pushed away by our culture. I mean, in our culture, we tend to be a culture, and this is a broad generalization, I know that there are some different, where we tend to be a culture that sees as the antidote, right, the removal of all pain. That wants to deny pain wants to suppress it or push it down. 
Well, it should be no surprise to us that this is the way we go. That a psalm that can talk about the shepherd's provision, the shepherd's goodness, can speak very matter-of-factly about pain and difficulty. should be no surprise, and there are a couple of reasons. First of all, this is precisely what our shepherd endured. It's what he did. Returning to John 10, Jesus says, Remember, I am the good shepherd, in verse 11. But he goes on to say, in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. And, you know, the rest of John 10, he's sort of saying, that was kind of the point of me being here. This is why my Father loves me, because I lay down my life for the sheep. In other words, he went through the valley of the shadow of death. And we might say that he was devoured by wild animals there. And I'm not joking. I've been, I've been waiting to say this, because this is just kind of fun, right? But it's interesting that you have Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and then Psalm 24. Right? That, my friends, is a nice little snapshot of Christ's life and ours. You know why? Psalm 22, 1, remember Jesus on the cross? Do you remember what he said? Why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Psalm 22, that's verse 1. Psalm 22, 20, 12, and 13, he says, I'm surrounded by the bulls of Bashan. They've opened their mouths to devour me. It's not an accident that Jesus references that psalm. It's not just that one piece of it. It's that sort of whole thing. And we see Psalm 22 lead to Psalm 23, and then Psalm 24, who, who can enter the gates? The Lord, this exaltation of Christ. This walking through the valley of the shadow of death was a certainty for our shepherd. Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? The answer to that question is, yes, it was necessary. So, Walking through the valley of the shadow of death is precisely what our Savior did. And second, we follow him in suffering. We suffer too. Recall 1 Peter 5. Satan is like a roaring lion looking to devour us. In 1 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, Paul says, tells them that it doesn't want any of them to be moved by their afflictions. He says, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. In Philippians 1, Paul says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And then in Romans 8, 17, he says something a little bit different. He says, and if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. We suffer along with him the way that he suffered. 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the course that we will follow. But we still have hope, even in the midst of that reality. We still have hope. We're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yay. Why do we have hope? The rest of verse 4. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. Did you get that? David set himself not to be overcome by fear. We have to do the same thing. We must be active in this. When difficulty sets in, we preach to ourselves, I won't be overcome by this fear. Why? And this is where the psalm takes a turn. Up to this point, David has been telling us about the shepherd. Now at this point, and I don't know that it's accidental, I don't know for sure, but you see this turn. Now he is talking to that shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. It's, it, and I don't know, I would imagine that even in saying that you are with me, I am both proclaiming something and asking for something. You are with me. In the midst of deep darkness, your shepherd is with you. That's the way that he was talked about in Luke. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's our Messiah. In the sun or through the sun, light is broken in to deep darkness, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Your shepherd is with you. Christ is with you. Your Father is with you through Christ and through the Spirit or by the Spirit, both are with us. We're wrapped up tight in the communion of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And what does that shepherd do? He comforts us with his rod and his staff. That's a familiar. Rod and the staff, they sound the note of two things, protection and provision. With the rod, he strikes the animals that are attacking. With the staff, he keeps the flock in order and knocks down branches for the flock to eat. Obviously, both of those things we see we have in Christ. He protects us from enemies and provides for our needs. He wields that rod and staff to bring comfort. John Goldengay, he, uh, he has something interesting to say about that. We might experience that comfort in a couple of ways. One, we might experience that comfort as a change in the situation. It's kind of nice when a prayer is answered. Situation's changed, it's over, yay! It's not so bad. But that's not always the case. We don't always get an answer to a prayer 
that brings healing or the success of a surgery. We don't always get that. So he brings it in a second way, encouragement. That's another way Golden Gate says that this might work out, encouragement. But if things don't get turned around, how does he encourage us? Well, this brings us back to the deep darkness. Deep darkness, what Christ does with it. He doesn't waste it. Our shepherd doesn't waste it. In that deep darkness, he does a couple things. One, he points us to himself. Paul said this, listen to this, in first, second Timothy, I mean, excuse me, Second Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It's pretty desperate. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us, and here it is, rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Our shepherd magnifies himself in deep darkness. He, he seeks to make us stronger by making you more reliant on him. That's the lesson that the valley of the shadow of death teaches. We learn to fear nothing because we know we can depend on his power. He will help us. He will uphold us through it. The second way, and this is last, he conforms us to himself. So our shepherd, he doesn't waste it. He uses it, calling us to re rely on him, but he's also using this to conform us to himself. Romans 8, 28, and this will be familiar to many of you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's important to realize this uh, in the context of the recognition of a suffering in the life. Those all things, right, that all things includes the deep darkness. Our God works all things for our good. And what is the good? Being conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. That's it. That's an important thing to realize. I hear folks kind of will use this, will think, of, think about this in terms of, okay, one day then I will, I'll come to realize why this all had to happen. Right? Something's going to happen at some point that will make sense of all of these circumstances. We, we already know the why. Because you, you may never know the specifics of why some particular circumstance had to unfold and happen. For, it, for us to be able to go, oh, okay, see, yeah, that was good. See, it worked out. That's not the point. The good, the aim of all of these things, whatever reason they happen, is for you and I to be conformed to the image of of his son. 
Our Savior learned obedience through suffering. Hebrews 5. He learned to trust His Father and to entrust Himself to a righteous judge. Christ was wholly reliant upon His Father throughout His earthly ministry for direction and strength. And that is what He is after in you. That's what He wants in you. He seeks to make us like that, like His Son. What we're seeing up to this point is that the Father leads us in the paths of righteousness by leading us to walk in His Son. He lights our path, and in Him we have life. And though walking in Him does not mean that uh, we live above pain, that's not the case. In fact, the opposite is true. We walk right into it. But even though that's the case, you and I are encouraged. We're strengthened knowing that the Father, our shepherd, His Son is not just off at a distance watching, but is right in the middle of it. He's active. He's making the sheep to look more and more like the shepherd. Let's pray together.